Amen. How's everybody doing tonight? Very good. All right, we are talking about the war within, and last week we talked about the different devices of temptation, the sources of temptation, the flesh, the world, and the devil, amen? And so tonight we're going to talk about the process of temptation. Everybody get a handout? The process of temptation like a little chart there, and we're going to go through that. <clears throat> Process of temptation. If you need a form, just hold your hand up. All right. Well, 2 Corinthians... Chapter number 2, verse 11, says, talks about Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, least Satan would get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, whether we're tempted through the flesh or through uh, the world, uh, Satan always comes in there somewhere, all right? Because he's the one that seeks whom he can devour. It's his job, if you will. His purpose is to destroy each and every one of us. Amen. But aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? And so we feel this struggle within, this temptation. We have to understand who the enemy is. But it's real. You know, this temptation is real. Paul talks about it in Romans where he says, you know... I feel this struggle within me, and, you know, it, it's uh, when I want to do good, I don't do good, and uh, I find another member warring against the members of my, my mind, you know, and bringing me into captivity. He was, he, this is the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, and we see this uh, wrestling match that he's having within himself. That is, folks, the war within, and each and every one of us experiences that, and it's real, isn't it? If it's not real in your life, you might want to check your spirituality, all right? Satan may have already won the battle, but if you're sometimes struggling to get to church and sometimes struggling to make the right decisions, I want you to know you're in the battle, amen? But we need to be aware of the devil's devices so that he doesn't get an advantage on us, right? We can stay conscious of not ignorant, we look at that word ignorant, but it just means un, uh, not knowing, okay? We don't know what his devices are. When we know what his devices are, it gives us a lot better uh, chance of combating, amen, the temptations that are thrown our way. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And so it tells us there to be sober. And that just simply means don't be drunk. All right? Be sober. Because when you're drunk, your senses are dulled. Right? You don't make the right decisions. And he says be vigilant. You got to be active in this. You got to be on top of it. You got to be aware of it. You got to be conscious of what is going on around in the world. The world is pulling for us. 
your flesh is pulling against you, and the devil is there like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he can devour. He's ready to pounce on somebody, amen? But the good thing is that he really has no power over us. And that's, he's really like, uh, you know, just a squeaky wheel, if you will. He's always yapping around, he's roaring, you know, trying to instill fear in us, doubt, and all these other things. But he has no power over the church, amen? The church is predestinated. And another thing that we have a problem with in these in the days that we're living in is that <clears throat> we have what we call the the dispensation the Bible calls it the dispensation of grace and I'm going to be teaching about that Sunday morning in the adult class but that dispensation just simply means the accountability of grace but we are in the dispensation of grace where the grace of God and the mercy of God is extended to us so we abuse right the, the goodness of God and the mercy of God, thinking that, oh, we can get forgiveness. And we can, all right? But the Bible also says that, you know, wickedness has waxed worse and worse because judgment's not executed quickly. Amen? But there's coming a judgment day. And that's why he says you got to be sober. you got to be vigilant. Your adversary's going about. There's a day of reckoning. It's an accountability. This great a season of time that we live in where we have the mercy of God and the grace of God extended to us. Think about it. We're not getting what we deserve, right? And each and every one of us sitting here deserves, if it were, death because of sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? And so we need the grace of God in our lives, and thank God it's there. But there's also that comes with it. It's just not a license to do whatever we want to do, right? There's a coming a day of reconciliation or you got to give an account, if you will, of your life. And so <clears throat> the devil's out there. We need to be aware of his attempts and what he's trying to do. So in your outline there, the process. Okay, this is what happens in the process. The first one is doubt. Doubt comes along. You doubt the word of God. You doubt your salvation. You doubt the power of God. You know, with all these things that come into our mind, decept or doubt is the number one thing that happens. And then the second thing that comes into play is deception. All right? The big deception. And that's what the devil is all about. He wants to put that deception out there in front of you. They always use the illustration of the Marlboro Man. Remember, on the used to be on the bulletin boards, the billboards, and a rough cowboy-looking guy, you know, sitting there smoking a cigarette, right? But they don't show you the back of the billboard where he's years later is eaten up now with lung cancer. The deception. The party, you look at the billboards and people are got the, the whiskey bottle in their hand. There's a party, everybody's good looking on the billboard, everybody's smiling and it's a good time, right? They don't show behind the scenes. The deception is when people get hooked on that, then their lives are a mess. They're bound by it. They don't want to drink it, but they have to drink it. I know, I've been there, amen? And so, but God in his grace and his mercy helps us 
to be able to see the cunning devices of the enemy. But that's the deception. That's the second thing that happens. And then the detour that the devil wants to take us on. The detour, if you will. He offers something that's quicker for you. Something that's immediate for you. And this is the detour. So Satan's three steps, they play into these first three that we just talked about. Satan questions God's word. All right? He questions the word of God. Then Satan gives his lie, if you will. Look at John chapter 8, verse 43 through 44. Why do you not understand my speech? This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Even because you cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is talking about the devil. And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. All right? There's no truth in the devil. This is the lie that he has. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and he is a father of lies. Amen? So the lie, Satan gives the big lie. That's what comes next. We have to be careful. Um, read an article, I think it was in one of the, I, the Pentecostal Herald, it was Liar, Liar, Pantsuits on Fire, and it talked about in the business uh, world that lying is almost accepted and expected. You have to lie in certain areas. And you think about it, um, we lie sometimes. We lie about our feelings. We lie at questions that are asked to us, right? How do I look today when your wife asks you the question? You look absolutely gorgeous <laughs> if you're a smart husband, right? <laughs> and it's the truth. Amen. But we, if you think about all the little things that, you know, we could and we do kind of lie about, you know, we call them little white lies. You know, they're not really hurting anything. But we have to be careful because lying is what the devil does and what the devil is. He is the father of lies. Amen. He said, why don't you understand my speech? He that speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan, when he comes with his temptation, he brings with it the lie, the big lie. First he questions God's word, and then he gives you the lie. And then he offers you an alternative. This is the detour, an alternative, which is usually quicker than God's way, amen? Shortcuts if you will, are usually temptations because what we're saying is God is not moving fast enough on our behalf. We have this impulse and God's not helping, God's not supplying, God's not moving fast enough. Satan has an alternative. Did God really say that? No, he didn't really say that. Well, let's look into the Word of God and what does it, well, we have to go to Genesis chapter 3, that's the, the big one, right? Genesis chapter 3, 
the temptation of Adam. I want to start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. We're just going to read down through this. I know it's familiar with us, but it brings out these different points that we're talking about. Now the serpent was more subtle, he's crafty, than any beast of the field which the Lord hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? So here's the doubt that the devil brings in. Did God really say that? He's saying it with a question in his tone. Did God say that? Hath God said, Amen, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the, to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. There's the lie, right? Because we know that they did die. They died uh, the natural death that they were not supposed to. After that, that they sinned against God. So that's the lie that he brings forth. Romans chapter number 6 and verse 23. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we have this great gift of God, and <clears throat> we're not talking about that tonight, but it is the Holy Spirit, the gift of God in us. The hope of glory, that's the great gift, amen. But the wages, the payment of sin, and just because we have this great gift from God doesn't mean we can't fall into temptation, right? Everybody's tempted, everybody's fall, and it's not a sin to be tempted. We learned that last week, right? It's not a sin to be tempted. We're all tempted. <clears throat> it's when we yield to that temptation, that's when it becomes sin. And the wages of sin is death. If everybody can just be listening to me right now, the wages of sin is death. All right? Something's going to die when you sin. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean a, a natural death, right? Not a natural death of an individual, although it could. It did mean that in, in, uh, in the incident with David and Bathsheba. They lost that child that was conceived because of their sin. But the wages of sin is death. Something is going to die when we sin. We have to be so careful that we keep that in our minds. Amen? And ultimately, we will die a spiritual death if we don't get it under the blood. But I'm thankful that there's power in the blood. And you can get it under the blood. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The mercy of God, the grace of God. Oh, my goodness, folks. We cannot take it lightly. I said we cannot take it lightly. Amen. Because we're going to have to give an account of it. And the wages of sin, if we just think that we can do what we want to do and just, we're going to get by with it. It's going to cause a lot of death on, in, this war, in this life. But it's also going to cause, ultimately, the death of our soul. Amen? There's coming a judgment day. 
there's coming a judgment day. Look at your neighbor and tell them, it's coming a judgment day. If we would remind ourselves every minute of the day <laughs> that there's going to be a judgment time, we wouldn't have any trouble with temptation, right? But we don't. We drift away, and it's human nature. We drift away, and we go about our own uh, little lives. But we have to keep that in our minds, that there's coming a judgment day. We're going to give an answer, and uh, sin bringeth forth death. That's the payment for sin is death. And so that was the big lie that Satan told to the woman, Eve, in the garden. He says, you shall not surely die. Verse 5, for God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, hallelujah, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here comes the detour, the alternative way. Now, God's got you here for a purpose. God's got you in this garden for a purpose. He's told you a few things, but I'm telling you, if you listen to me, you'll be a God like he is. He was offering them an alternative way. Amen? He said, just do this, and you'll know good from evil, and you'll be like he is. And they were tempted, and we know that God, or that they... They did go through all of these feelings. We'll get into it here in just a minute. But I ran across this quote that says, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice up to him. God always leaves the best to those that give the choice, leave the choice up to him. Amen? How many would say God's way is the best way? We all, we all say that. But we struggle against going God's ways right? Because that's our human nature. That's the intent of the enemy. That's the process of temptation to lead us and guide us away from the will of God. But God's way is the best way. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we can all look back over our lives and say, oh, I wish I could go back and redo that. Or am I the only one in here that can say that? I know that I can say it more than one time. I wish I could go back and redo that. But we can't. We can't go back and redo those things, but we can start from where we are and move forward. Hallelujah. And God wants to give us the best. You believe that? Looking back over my life and, you know, through all of our struggles, and if you've been in church very long, you really do know that living for God's the best way there is. Amen. There's nothing like having the peace of God in your life. doesn't always go. You've got to give up a lot of things when you live for the Lord, right? You've got to be able to give up. He says, pick up your cross and follow after me. That means denying yourself. You've got to deny yourself. And when we do that, it seems like we're withholding something from us. That's what the devil wants you to think, that something's being withheld for you, from you. Uh, God's got all these rules and laws and, and stipulations, and you're not really getting the most out of life. But oh my goodness. When you just follow after the word of God, it is the best life living for the Lord. And God will always give the best to those who leave the choice up to him. Amen. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. He was there. 
All right, she didn't trick him. He did this willingly, and he did eat. Amen. So pleasant to the eyes, uh, pleasant to the flesh, and a desire to make one wise. We're going to study that next Wednesday in this, but those are the three areas that we're tempted in. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they uh, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden um, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. So here's what happens when we sin. And I know this is not deep or anything. We all know this, but we have to remind ourselves of it. When we sin, when we are following after the temptations of this, this world, we hide ourselves from the presence of God. A lot of times we hear, that, well, I just can't feel God anymore. I don't, God's not moving in my life anymore. You know, people say that a lot of times. There's periods of times when you go through sometimes when you can't really feel God like you do, you know, everything's all hunky-dory and exuberant and everything, but there's times when you don't feel that. But basically when you begin to sin and you're not doing right, you don't want to go to the house of God, Right? Unless you're uh, uh, willing to face up to it, you do not want to be in the presence of God. So they hid themselves from the presence of God. That was a spiritual death, was it not? The wages of sin is death. Spirit, to think that they commune with God in the cool of the day. They were there. They talked with God. They communed with God. And God was their friend. But when they sinned, they hid themselves from the presence of God. And thank God he doesn't give up on us. And he said, well, bless God. They're not there. I just forget about them. But he calls out to them. Adam, where are you at? <laughs> he knew where he was at. God's calling out to each and every one of us tonight. I feel the presence of the Lord when I say that. He's calling your name. He's calling out to you. He has not forgotten your zip code. He knows where you're, you're at. And he's, what he's basically saying is, what are you doing? Why are you afraid? Amen. Why are you hiding from my presence? And he asked Adam, where are you? Where are you? In the uh, New Testament, he was talking to his disciples and, or some of the people that he was preaching to. And he, told, he made this statement. He says, I do not know you where you are. He said, I don't know you. He was saying, I don't know you in that condition. He's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I don't know you where you are. We have to ask ourselves, where am I? Where are you in your walk with God? Are you walking according to the word of God? Amen. Don't use the excuses <clears throat> that we hear so many times. And I use this example all the time, but I can remember being at when I was working uh, at the post office and I was testifying to this guy and he came up to me and he says, you think God graves on the curve? And if you remember being graded on the curve, that meant if the high score of the grade was a 60, then that's where A started and you got to, because he was saying, you think I, God's going to grade on the curve? And, you know, I had to laugh at his statement, but the answer is absolutely not. He doesn't grade on the curve. Well, I'm doing a little bit better than that person over there. 
We're not going to be judged amongst ourselves. We're not going to have to answer according to what they did. We have to know what the Word of God says, and we are going to be judged according to the Word of God. Hallelujah. So get yourself into the Word of God. Live according to the Word of God. Stop looking at other people. It can even be those in spiritual authority sometimes. Well, you know, I didn't know that you could do that, you know. You have to find out what you can do according to the Word of God. Amen? Don't use that, folks. You've got to get on your face. You've got to get on your knees and pray to God and ask Him. And you can say, a lot of people says, well, everybody's doing it, you know. Well, that doesn't make it right, right? My dad used to say, if everybody jumped off the cliff, would you? And one time I said, well, I'm, I don't know. I'd have to think. If everybody's doing it, I might, you know. But his point was well taken. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Amen? We have to be right within our own selves. And so they hid themselves. And Jesus asked, or the Lord asked him the question, who told thee that thou was naked? Have you eaten of the tree wherein I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. I love that scripture. <laughs> it's her fault. Amen. My wife and I, we have this little, she's never wrong. And I try to prove her wrong at times when I can't. She is really is never wrong. She is always right. All right. So, but anyway, he's playing this little blame game. He says, the woman made me do it. And the woman said, the devil, the serpent, tricked me. Tricked her. Serpent tricked her. And folks, we have to be careful that we are not tripped up and tricked by the enemy. He's lurching. He's there, ready to pounce, ready to destroy. Oh, my goodness. We got to get in tune with the Lord. Don't allow the temptations and the trickery, the cunning devices of the enemy to trick you up. Amen. And so the blame game is put on and that's where we and we do this so much it's their fault his fault her fault and well bless God they're doing that and you know some people don't even come to the altar because somebody offended them at the altar you know a couple years ago and things like that and we have to be so careful we can't get our eyes on other people amen when it comes to our relationship with the Lord we are people, we're all human, we all make mistakes, we all say things that we shouldn't say, we all do the wrong thing at times, amen? But you can't take an incident and base your whole life on that, all right? You've got to move on. Don't play the hypocrite, that's trying to be something that you're not, or hiding something that you are. That's a hypocrite. You're either trying to be something that you're not, or hiding something that you are. That's the hypocrisy of it all. Amen. Amen. And so we have to, in our lives, and this is hard to do, be real, right? We have to open up to God and be real. It was a psalmist that says, search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. We have to come to a place in our lives where we're brutally honest with ourselves. And with God. 
search me, Lord. We have to come to that place where we say, God, just search me. We have to come to a place in our lives where we take full responsibility for our own life, for our own walk with God. It's not because somebody uh, misused me years ago. It's not because somebody led me in the wrong direction years ago. It's not because some spiritual authority did me wrong years ago. Um, you know, this is harsh, but you got to get over that. You can't base your whole life on that. We've all been through instances like that. And you've got to be able to take full responsibility for your own life. Because when you stand before God, that's exactly what you're going to give an account for. Your life. What did you do with what God has given us? Amen? Full responsibility without excuse. I can remember, it's been years ago, but I can remember I had all these excuses that I was going to give to the Lord when I got up there, you know, <laughs> on Judgment Day. I had my defense ready, you know. And I can remember it was in a service or something that, you know, God really spoke to me. And said, so there's no defense on Judgment Day. <laughs> and there really isn't. We have to come to that place in our lives where we're brutally honest with ourselves and realize that, hey, you know, there is no defense. I'm a sinner, I don't deserve this, and I am going to give account of my life. So take full responsibility of your life. So we find this doubt and deception and detour that in the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And they handled it the wrong way, did they not? They sinned and caused all this, and we see that the scripture came to life, amen, that yes, they did die. When we find this same temptation in the New Testament, we find it the temptation with Jesus in Matthew chapter number 4. This is the way that we need to handle this, amen, when we're tempted. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, as you're turning there, let me get a drink real quick. All right, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward, he was afterward a hungered. I guess so. <laughs> if I think about fasting, after 40 minutes, I'm a hungered, all right? He was 40 days and 40 nights without food. <clears throat> and when the tempter came to him, he said, verse 3, If thou be the Son of God, here's the doubt. If you're really the Son, are you really the Son of God? Are you really? There is the doubt. Make these stones to be bread. Amen. But he answered and said, It is written, Jesus said this, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So there's the doubt. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, sendeth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, here we go again with the doubt, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in, in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash th 
thy foot against a stone. There's the big lie because he takes scripture from Psalms 91 verse 10 through 12 and he takes it out of context. There's the great lie. There's the lie that he gives to Jesus. Psalms 91 verse 10 says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in thy ways, that they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Nowhere does this say throw yourself off the cliff and God's going to protect you. All right? But that's what the devil is insinuating. And that's the lie. I think as I was, this was why I was studying in school. I think it was Henry Wads, Wadsworth Longfellow or something was a poet. But he made this quote. He said, the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. An evil soul producing holy witness is like a villain with a smiling cheek. Oh, what a goodly outside falsehood hath. I remember that from first year of college. Amen. That was a long time ago. So... <clears throat> But it just resonated with me. It stuck with me, you know. Because the, the devil does script, quote scripture, but he twists it around. And he's like a villain. And he's got a smile in cheek. He's smiling at you. Amen. He's smiling right at you. He'll appear as an angel of light. Amen. It looks good, but you've got to be careful. Amen. He lies. There is no truth in him. And so this was the big lie. The scripture was, of course, taken out of context. It's kind of like Mark, the chap, uh, chapter 16 in Mark, you know, where, we, where it says, um, they shall speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents that shall not harm them, they'll drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them, okay? That doesn't mean you handle snakes, okay? Vi uh, venomous snakes eventually, uh, especially, right? Because if they bite you, you're going to die, all right? Because that's not that what that scripture is talking about. It doesn't mean you go around drinking poison to prove anything. It means if, like Paul, when he was gathering up the sticks for the fire, reached in to get the sticks and the venom latched out, struck him on the hand, he shook it off in the fire, he felt no harm from it. And it caused a great revival in the city because they're all looking at him like, oh man, this guy's going to fall over dead. But then when he didn't, and it was a glory to God, amen, and a testimony to the Lord. And so we have to be very careful taking Scripture out of context. Any cult <clears throat> that you think about has started with a Scripture that they've taken out of context, all right? Uh, I remember one of my first pastors used to say, I could start a religion worshiping fence posts. And I could get somebody to follow me. <laughs> we have to be so careful not to be gullible and not to be uh, deceived. And um, I'm pretty gullible and believing. I trust people, you know. And uh, my wife's always on me for that. You can't trust everybody, you know. <laughs> but you got to be careful that it does not go against the word of God. Amen. Because when it does, it's taken out of scripture. And that, or out of context, and that, my folks, is a big lie, right? I could take you to the scripture. If you're new, I'm witnessing to you and say, listen, I've got some um, antifreeze here. And you can drink this because the scripture in Mark says, 
You know that you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt you, right? And the person ignorant of the scripture may say, oh, I see that. It does say that, right? It says that, and we, we laugh because it's an exaggerated example, but folks, we do that with some of the scriptures sometimes. Does it really say that? Does it really mean that? What is it trying to say? Amen? We better find out. We better make sure that we're not taking scripture out of context. Jesus said unto him, it is written, uh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So here we find the detour. Satan, the prince and power of the air, given all this power on the earth, right? He takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, look at all these kingdoms. They're under my power. God's given them me to my authority. I'll give them to you if you worship me. That's what Jesus came for, right? He came to redeem us, to buy back. That redemption simply means to put back in the rightful place. He came to purchase us back from the fall that happened and that's what he came from. And when Satan said that, it was offering him an alternative, a shortcut to Calvary, if you will. Oh, you just do what I, I tell you to do, and you can have them. I've got that authority. It's been given to me right now. But no, what did Jesus do? He went to the cross finally and said, hey, give me the keys. Give them to me. You ain't got that power anymore. I got it. But I, he did it in the way that God desired it to be done. You understand what I'm saying? It was the uh, long way around. It was the tough way around. But uh, he prayed in the garden, right? The flesh, crying out, take this cup from me. I can't, I can't you know, take, I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. The cross was a heavy load. So this was the detour. That's what came, uh, Jesus had come for. Let's look in Mark chapter 8, verse number 33 through 37. Jesus speaking, he said, he began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, the elders and of the priests, the scribes, and be killed after three days, and after three days, raise again, rise again. And he spoke that saying openly, and Peter took him, began to rebuke him. When he had turned him about, looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Almost the same words, right? That he said, Get thee hence, after Satan said, If you just worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. The alternative to what his purpose in life was. His purpose was to go to the cross and die. Satan offered him the alternative. Peter was offering him the alternative. The individual, the world, if you will. And he got the same response. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because they, Peter was kind of saying, you don't have to do that. We'll fight for you. We'll, we'll overcome through the flesh. And Jesus knew that that was not the way that he had to go. And so we find that he's telling uh, Peter here the same thing. He said, you don't savor the things that are God, but the 
things that are of men. We have to count the things of God as precious. Favor the things of God and not the things of men. For whosoever, in verse 35, shall uh, save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For with uh, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We have to lose this world, folks. That's the bottom line. That's one of the temptations, isn't it? We want to hold on to a lot of things in the world, and we want to live for God too, but that's the temptation. We've got to lose this world. They say the grace is free, but it's going to cost you everything. It's free. Mercy and grace are free, but it's going to cost you your life. <laughs> it's going to cost you your life. Amen. All right, so God's, or the temptation of Jesus when he questioned him, and then he misquoted Psalms. That was the deception. And he said, you can be worshipped now. You can get back all of this that you came for. That was the detour. So this is how we combat it. It's with God's truth. And that's what Jesus simply did. We see that in each of these instances, he combated the temptations with the word of God. There's power in the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The word of God, folks, you can stand on it. You can build your life on the word of God. It's forever. Hallelujah. You do not have to doubt the word of God. Get it out of your mind. If you do, ask God. I think we need to be brutally honest with God in prayer when we don't understand things. I don't understand why I, this is happening. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I know what your word says, but I don't understand what it's saying. We need to be brutally honest with God. If God responds to honesty. He responds to our desires to know. Oh, the deception, you may be sure your sins will find you out. All right? Deception is this got this covered. But your sins are gonna find you out. If not before you die, it will on judgment day. God sees everything. Sister McClary, my mother-in-law used to tell me every time I picked up Sister Richie for a date. Remember, God's got an all-seeing eye, you know. She'd ruin the whole evening, you know. I couldn't even enjoy myself and without thinking we're God's around here, you know. But it worked, amen. Your sins will find you out. And then the detour, there is a way that seemeth right to man, but the end there leads to death. There's a way that seems right. It looks right. It feels good. It ought to be right, right? If, it's, if it feels so good, then everything should be all right. There seems like there's a way that's right to man that leads to death. We've got to be sure that God is in it. Amen? The end of all those things leads to death when we follow after our own ways. All right, so the correct response that we should give through these temptations, which Jesus did in his responses, he was simply saying, yes, you know, I can, but man shall not live by bread alone. He was quoting the word. He was removing all doubt. He quoted scripture to all the deception that was coming him. And in the detour, like I've already said, we need to wait for the best. And that's what God has for us. Wait 
Amen. Don't take the detour. God is not ever in a hurry. He's like slow. He's really slow. That's one of the questions I might ask you. Why were you so slow? <laughs> He's slow, folks. He's just slow. He doesn't get in a hurry. We get so anxious. We want it to happen. We try to take matters in our own hands. But God's in control of all. All right? So lessons that we learn from Matthew chapter 4. Just because you're filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. Right? Full of the Spirit. And got tempted. Times of spiritual high are followed by temptation. After every mountaintop, there's a valley. We see these examples in the Word of God. Elijah, for one of them, remember that great victory he had? And uh, God sent down fire, consumed. And then the next verse, we find him hiding in a cave from Jezebel because she says, I'm going to kill you, you know. It doesn't make any sense, you know, but that's what happens. Spiritual highs are followed by temptations. And often Satan tempts us when our resistance is low. You're going through it. You know, things aren't going right. That's when he comes in with temptations too. And we are tempted, not just in the area of weakness, but also in areas of our strength. Amen. Always had to remember this. So I ask, as we are dismissing tonight, uh, ask yourself through this lesson, what did you hear? What did you hear tonight? What was God speaking to you about? All right? Because conviction, folks, is short-lived. You can be convicted by the time you get out to your car, <clears throat> it's gone. You got something else on your mind. I'm asking you before you leave, what was God speaking to you about? What do you think about it? How are you processing? You got to process what God's talking to you about. All right? And the most important thing is what are you going to do about it? There has to be action. That's faith. Our response to the grace is faith. And faith is action. We've got to respond to the word of God. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> God, we thank you, Lord, for this day and for your word and the power of your word. We come to you, Lord. We're all here because we want to be victorious in our life. We're here to learn. We're here to grow in you, Lord. And we know that your love and your mercy and your grace is extended to us. Help us, oh God, to have on the eyes of you, Lord. Help us to be wise in our decisions. Help us to be, uh, be able to be on to the deceiver, the deception of the devil. God, give us wisdom and knowledge. Give us the strength of the Holy Spirit. Help us in all that we do, and we'll give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Praise God. God bless you.